everyone and welcome back to the horror podcast Dark Pages from the Old Attic. I'm Ella and this is my friend and co-host Clara. Hi. Now, according to our initial plan, this would be episode 5 of our five-part podcast. But, change of plans. We simply have so many stories lying around here in the old attic. And we also had too much fun to stop here. Yes, so we decided... After watching The Witch? But we would continue this podcast. Not because of The Witch, though. So, many more spooky stories to come. And now we also have the time to check out the stories which takes place in Denmark. Like The House by the Road. Hmm. We could do a ghost hunting special in this house. See if Agnes is still around. <gasps> I love the idea. Some good old family bonding time. Wait, now that I think about it, sadly she died in the hospital and not in this house. Hmm. That's not a nice place to spend your final days. How did she die, by the way, if you don't mind me asking? Hmm. We weren't that close, but my parents talked about it and it was something with her visiting Norway and being ill when she returned. So, I guess old age. Or maybe Norway was too much adventure for her. Dying from adventuring. Wish I could have met her. Do you think ghosts find their way back to their home or are they stuck at the place they die? Well, it would be nice if we can go home when we die. But if we can trust today's story... It seems people are stuck when they die. But wouldn't that make hospitals insanely haunted? Who says they aren't? But then wouldn't the staff have to deal with crazy ghost shit every day? Yes, they would. Anyway, speaking of today's story, it's a bit long. Uh, you think we can make it in one episode? Y yeah, y yes, it will be fine. There's lots of space between the lines, so it's actually not that long. A anyway... The story is named Isle of Death. You'll probably think this sounds stupid, but this story would never have happened if I hadn't gone in search for the paranormal. Or maybe you don't? I guess you can relate with this research of yours. Anyway. It happened pretty much exactly five years ago to this date. I traveled with a group of friends on a sort of European trek, camping here and there and sometimes in not strictly legal places. We had done this every summer since leaving high school together and at this point I was probably the only one without an idea of what to do with my life. Simone who I'd known since before high school was doing some really cool shit with her photography. Miriam played sweet drums in a band. Peter, who was the first friend I made in high school, was working his way up in a cozy record store in Amsterdam. And both Steven and Jan were at university, studying history and journalism, respectively. And I just wanted to live for the summer and experience some spooky shit. So, around mid-July, we had made it to Venice where Steven really got to take his history knowledge for a swing, showing us his top picks of attractions in the old medieval city. He explained how criminals had been strung between the columns of San Marco Piazza while the rest of us ate ice cream. And he pointed out the four bronze horses on the St. Mark church facade, describing how the originals had been looted from Constantinople, all the while waving his umbrella like a professional tour guide. 
It was also him who picked up on the rumor that somewhere in the lagoon surrounding the old city was a haunted island. Povelia it was called, and despite the spicy rumors of ghosts, it wasn't a tourist attraction. In fact, the place was apparently off-limits to the public, which only added to the mystery. As a former quarantine station for plague victims, and later the site of an insane asylum, it sounded like a proper place to experience something supernatural. I immediately suggested we rented a boat and went out to the isle. And being the adventurous bunch we were, everyone agreed. Simone thought it would be a great opportunity to take photos with her Polaroid impulse camera, and Jan suggested writing a short article about exploring the place. With that settled, we found ourselves a boat, piled our gear and supplies on board, and sailed out to the Lone Isle. The lagoon was a busy place, especially at that time of year. But as we got closer to our destination, I noticed a marked drop in activity around us. There wasn't any doubt if the place was the right one either. All aisles we passed were brimming with buildings and red tile roofs, but the one we were headed for was green. As we got closer, we could see a low seawall made of bricks run the edge of the aisle, and behind the trees, a bell tower rose with a pointed roof crowned with a cross. Creeping along the coast, we soon came to the southern end of the isle. In fact, the whole thing was actually three isles. Two large ones connected by a bridge from what we could see, and a small artificial one shaped like an octagon with tall brick walls on all sides. According to Stephen, it had been a fort once. The fort was disconnected from the other island by a wide channel, and this is where we moored our boat. Here a series of dilapidated buildings stood close to the water's edge, most of them surrounded by rusty scaffolding. The tallest was three stories high and they all seemed to form a compact complex here on the south of the island. The rest appeared to be overgrown with trees, vines, shrubs and so on. Looking up at the broken windows and the cracked plaster of the facades, I wanted to go exploring immediately. However. Peter and Miriam wanted to find a place for our camp first, and we decided to get that out of the way. We did get an early taste of the buildings though, as we had to find our way through them to get to the interior of the island. The trees weren't just thick around the compound, but also among the buildings themselves. Growing up through broken pavement, right in front of the doorways and through the stairs, they were like slender fingers reaching up waiting to grab the bricks around them and pull them down into the soil. Which, Stephen was kind to remind us, probably held the ash and bones of thousands of plague victims. We made it through the thicket and crossed a wooden bridge to the northern isle, and here we found an open area to pitch our tents. Trees and shrubs surrounded the campsite, providing both shelter from the wind and also hiding us from the outside. It was, after all, a restricted area. From here, we could only see the bell tower. Everything else was green and wild, and Simone loved it, already burning through her film to capture the sense of the place. And finally, with our tents raised and bags dropped, we went back to explore the buildings. Despite our first impression, they were in remarkable good shape, probably owing to the mild climate. There were still tiles on some of the walls inside, and it was easy to imagine people walking through the corridors ducking into rooms and looking out the now broken windows. You could feel the life that had been here. As if 
the many people passing through had never quite left. One place I found particularly alive was the kitchen, a long hall of tiled walls strewn with rusted appliances and furniture. Leaves cluttered the floors and crunched lightly under my feet as I made my way through. Sunlight floated the room from windows high on the wall to my left. And for a moment, I felt entirely at peace. Since I hadn't heard other footsteps than my own for some time, I assumed the others had broken off to explore at their own pace somewhere else. I had to bring Simone here though. It would be great for a few shots. I turned to face the empty kitchen, ready to backtrack my steps, when I felt a warm breeze hit my face. The next instant, a sudden, loud and drawn-out scream rolled towards me from the empty doorway in the other end of the kitchen. I stumbled back into the tiled wall, even as the scream still seemed to rush through the room towards me. It felt as if something physical was coming at me, and when the scream ended, it continued to echo in my head. I stood frozen, afraid to move in case I provoked another scream. Every hair on my body stood up, and I could barely breathe. It had been so dreadful. I never wanted to experience anything like it again. It had come from the door, but not really. More like someone had run the length of the kitchen while letting loose that terrible scream. But there hadn't been anyone. Was this it? I thought as my fear mixed with a tingle of excitement. Had I actually, finally experienced something paranormal? For a moment, I was actually convinced and I was about to run like hell. But then, both my fear and excitement deflated as it struck me what had more likely happened. Rod up, I shouted at the empty doorway at the far end of the kitchen. As expected, Miriam came into view almost immediately, only instead of smiling and laughing, she looked concerned. Are you okay? she asked. I took a moment to collect myself. It was slightly disappointing to see it had just been her, but more than anything, it hurt. I marched down the kitchen and passed her with an annoyed snort. Eva? said she, following me down the dilapidated hallway. I ignored her. I would tell her what I thought of her prank later, but at that moment I was too angry to speak. She followed me through the building, keeping up her pretended concern. And by the time we were out on the overgrown dock overlooking the channel between us and the fort, my heart rate was somewhat back to normal. The others joined us soon after and Jan looked around confused. Did one of you scream? He asked. It gave me goosebumps. I nodded towards Miriam. She wanted to add some suspense to the place. What? Miriam said, pretending to be confused herself. A moment of tense silence followed, before I let the matter go with a shrug. I had to admit, it was a good scare Miriam had put up, and I suspected we would laugh about it in the evening. With tension eased, Jan and Steven suggested we try to go out to the octagonal fort. There was no bridge across the water, but the boys quickly decided to use an old barrier in the channel to climb over to the other side. Once they had shown the way, the rest of us followed. The fort was a flat area covered by sun-dried grass, with slanted brick walls on all sides and a perfect panoramic view of the lagoon. Dozens and dozens of boats filled the azure waters around us, with the olive-green mainland in the background. In the distance, Venice shimmered in the heat. As I kept turning, the crumbling buildings came into view, and I had an odd sense of unease 
at all the empty black windows glaring down at us behind the rusting scaffolding. Still a bit miffed from before, I went over the edge of the island to stand by myself for a moment. The others were talking behind me, and I thought for a moment Miriam was telling the others how she had spooked me. But I couldn't really believe that. She wouldn't do that. But then again, I wouldn't have thought she would do something like the thing in the kitchen either. Perhaps that was why I was still a bit uneasy. It must have been her. But still, it was so unlike her. I could imagine Simone doing something like that. She liked to prank me, but not Miriam. I also couldn't help feeling a sort of dejection. Even as I stood there in the bright sunlight, I remembered how I had believed for a moment before Miriam showed up. If she hadn't revealed herself, I might actually have left believing something unnatural might have happened. And what did that say about all the accounts people had of the paranormal? It was like casting a giant floodlight on a delicate magic trick that required the gloom. It was exposed, laid bare. Would I ever be able to feel properly spooked again? Suddenly I felt something press against my back. It felt lean, like cold fingers, and before I could turn my head to look, they pushed me hard towards the water. I didn't as much stumble as fly off the edge, with such force that I cleared the slanted walls on my way down. The water hit me with a cacophonous splash, and I felt my waterlogged clothes drag on me, resisting every motion I made. I was underwater, kicking my feet, but while every thrust down pushed me towards the surface, it was all reversed when I pulled my feet up for another kick. The show had also forced the air out of my lungs, and with a spike of panic, I realized I was in serious trouble. I flailed my arms, but it felt like I was just moving in place, and I couldn't feel the bottom with my feet. The water was muddy and dark, and some sort of seaweed touched my legs. Maybe it was my panic imagination, but it felt like it was wrapping around my ankles. There was a muffled splash close to me, and then someone grabbed me under my arms, and I felt myself rush upwards. I broke the surface, and the sounds of the world bombarded my ears. Splashing water, heaving breaths, shouts from above. Only when I was pushed against the barrier we had climbed to get to the fort could I see it was Simone who had carried me to safety. I clutched the wooden beams of the barrier until I was ready to clamber back onto land, and the others immediately held me up and surrounded me. Are you alright? Peter asked. What did you do that for? asked Miriam. Who? I said with heat rising to my face. Who did it? They all exchanged surprised looks. You jumped, Eva said Miriam. None of us were anywhere near you. I glared at her, this time unable to contain my anger. You suck, all of you. They called out for me, but I was already climbing back to the main island and strode off as fast as I could, splashing water everywhere I went. Their voices rose behind me, but that only made me walk faster. I ended up outside the doorway leading into the bell tower, and in a moment of recklessness, I went in and up the old stairs. Even when I came to a few broken steps, I continued, all the way up, until I came to a door that still sat in its hinges. I showed it open, and found myself with a view so spectacular, it momentarily made me forget about the others and my drenched clothes. From a narrow balcony, I had the whole island in front of me. The green treetops were below me, and in the distance, I could see the northern isle where our camp was nestled among the overgrowth. From up here, 
I could see the others make their way back to the camp, and despite my efforts to leave them behind on the fort, it stung watching them go without me. I leaned against the wooden door frame, arms crossed, and settled in for a bit of a sulking session. Evening was approaching with its long shadows and golden light, and in the shadow of the tower I felt a bit chilly. Then a warm breeze from the sea picked up the limp edges of my shirt, and for a moment I just stood there, letting it slowly dry my clothes and hair. In the distance, the tiny specks of my friends made it to camp. They would probably get started on preparing dinner while it was still light, and I sort of felt like I should go down and help. But, on the other hand, I didn't feel like joining them just yet. The sound of footsteps far below in the bottom of the tower reached me, and I held my breath. Immediately another footstep followed, and then another, slow and deliberate, and descending towards me. My fingers dug into the old wood of the door frame as I watched my distant friends mill about the camp, while each step echoed up through the tower. I didn't know what to do. As far as I knew, there was only one way down. But I was too afraid to turn around and watch what would come up from the top of the stairs. I couldn't breathe at the time the steps finally stopped right behind me. What would I see if I turned? Part of me wanted to know, but the rest of me was frozen. Boo! said Simone. Her sudden voice made me jump and I spun around, heart racing. Sorry, she said hurriedly, holding up her hands. I thought you heard me coming. She took the last few steps to join me at the door her eyes automatically scanning the view for a good shot. Like me, she was soaked to the skin. Thanks, I said after a moment. No problem. She wrung the hem of her cardigan, releasing a drizzle of water onto the stone floor. So what happened? I turned my eyes on her intently. Who did it? I said. What do you mean? She said, returning my look. Who pushed me? She frowned. No one did. I thought you slipped. No one was anywhere near you. I was taking a picture of... Well, she lowered her gaze and looked sideways at the overgrown island below us. I almost accepted her words, partly because I trusted her and partly because she sounded so convincing. But then I remembered the feeling of the strong fingers on my back. It couldn't have been her. Probably one of the guys. But why? And why was she covering for them? I felt a hand in my back, I said, but felt less sure for each word. Had I really? Maybe I had just slipped and imagined it. No one was there, Eva. I gritted my teeth and looked away from her. Were they all against me? I didn't know why they would be. I thought they liked me. Then my thoughts were distracted. I had caught sight of the camp again with the rest of the group sitting in a circle between the tents. They were tiny, but I thought I could make them out individually. It looked like Jan was standing, telling the rest something. But it wasn't them that had caught my attention. It was maybe a dozen or more dark figures that stood in overgrowth surrounding the camp. It looked like people, but they had to be wearing black clothes. And they probably weren't visible from the camp. Who is that? Simone whispered beside me. I don't know, I said. The figures just stood there, motionless like dark statues. 
I couldn't see how I would have missed them earlier. Let's get down there. Hang on. This is a cliffhanger. You said we could make it in one episode. Now, now. Calm down. It was my insurance in case you didn't want to continue with the podcast. It's also a great way to keep the audience hooked, so both you and they will return for next episode. You're taking the story hostage. I can't believe you've done this. How much is left of this? We're only halfway? Uh, so, uh, just to pick up on my question from before, it would seem ghosts do stay where they die. Unless, what, thousands of people call that island home? Hmm, indeed. Unless it's the water that keeps the ghost trapped. The water? Yes. Maybe ghosts can't get through water, so they are trapped at the isle. It could also explain the lady at the frozen lake and the ghost ship. The water keeps them there. What about the thing at the chateau? Wasn't that a dead soldier or something? Mm, maybe the moat? Or perhaps you just like the vacation vibes? Who knows? I guess we can look out for water in the coming stories and see if your theory holds up. Mm, yes, if it's watertight. I think we'll end here. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the fifth and fi- uh, Wait, no, um, not final. Just the fifth story from the Dark Pages from the Old Attic. We'll be back in two weeks with the next episode. So until then, take care. Have a spooky week. And if you're turning into a ghost, get the hell away from water. Today's episode of Dark Pages from the Old Attic was written and voiced by Zoe and Vicky Survey. We release a new episode every other Friday, and you can head over to our Instagram at Dark Pages Podcast for updates, teasers, and illustrations for each episode. If you wish to support us, give us a rating and review on the platform you're listening to the podcast. And don't let your friends miss out on the spooky times. You can contact us on Instagram or by email at darkpagespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope to see you in the next episode.